My name is Laura Spindler, and um, I have hoof and fang Spanish mastiffs. Um, so I guess initially my husband actually discovered the breed. He was reading an article in a local magazine. And um, the breeder was only an hour away, so I contacted her because we thought the dogs just were awesome. Um, and I kind of did a little bit of research. Um, what I found was there's almost nothing, well, especially back then, there was literally nothing in English about the Spanish Mastiff that you could read about. And um, I don't speak Spanish, really, mm-hmm. just like a few words. Um, so it was it was really difficult. So we went out. Um, Saw her and her dogs. She had uh, actually quite a few different LGD breeds, um, but there wasn't really a lot of livestock. I think she just had like two old ewes there. Um, but the dogs, I mean, it was just they were they were really awesome. I mean, just super um, chill dogs. They just uh, you know some of them were a little aloof and didn't want to come up to you. Some of them were friendly, but they all had this this really cool just. Um, thing you know they they were they were interested in their sheep even though there were only two of them you know they kind of they kept an eye on them and stuff and they were just I I just really you know liked the breed um so we did bring our first two puppies home from that breeder actually really healthy overall however they do have huge joint problems because of their size um so I'm kind of trying to uh breed down a little bit in size or at least in weight um which actually I'm learning it's not so much the breeding as it is um, keeping weight off of them. You know, they, they tend to, you know, to be able to carry a lot of weight and still move around. That doesn't necessarily mean that they can engage successfully with an apex predator if they need to. However, you know, without running out of air or being knocked down. So my goal is kind of then right at this point, I'm trying to breed dogs with good joints, um, you know, and, and to maintain the regular overall health. Um, they seem to live a little longer than most giant breeds. Uh, my male's grandfather, he is 15 this year. Um, I haven't talked to the breeder since he turned 15, but when I talked to her last year, he was actually still going out to work with them. She said, you know, he spent a lot of his time in the truck, but, you know, he was still going out and, you know, hanging out with the flocks and stuff. So that's pretty cool. So I um, am really a pit bull lover. Um, and I had a couple. And um, when I was growing up, my mom actually, she bred and exhibited Dobermans. So I grew up with a lot of Dobies. Uh, very cool dogs. Some of them are really intelligent. Some of them are just total boneheads. Um, I haven't, haven't had any contact with the breed in years now, so I'm not really sure what's going on with them. Um, but yeah, mostly I'm a huge fan of pitties. I love them. Um, don't have any right now, but, uh, I actually have considered getting one for a house dog because I just love them and I miss them. And I've always just been an animal lover. When I was a kid, I pretty much hung out with animals and, you know, I, I really liked I really like the dogs and um, have always just kind of been a dog person. I mean, there's, I don't think there's ever been a time in my life, uh, probably since I was about three, that I haven't had a dog with me, at least one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just kind of always. Um, really what started me with breeding um, this particular breed were the health issues. Um, 
I didn't, okay, at the time when I got my first two, there were only two breeders in the U.S. Um, one, they, one near me and then another one in the Midwest. Um, and they had basically this total blood feud going on, so you kind of had to pick sides or neither one of them would talk to you. Um, <laughs> and um, what I noticed, like I said, was, you know, just the just the joint issues and how I don't understand how you can expect a dog with joint issues to actually protect its flock, at, you know, effectively. Um, plus, it really kind of sucks to see your two-year-old dog struggling to get up because she's got hip dysplasia. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that was that's kind of where it came from. I just I really really felt the breed deserved better than what they were getting. Um, so I started importing. I imported my first male, and I did some research on some of the shepherds um, in Spain, and settled on one that actually um, that I actually had you know been following for a while, and contacted them, and I uh, they sent me Cabo. And he's a, he's my five-year-old male. And, um, you know, he was just kind of a different, he was just a little different than a lot of the puppies you see now. He was really lanky and leggy and um, just a very tall dog. I think he's topped out at almost 38 inches at the shoulders. He's an incredibly tall dog, um, very athletic. Um, he actually is the only male in the U.S. that OFA'd excellent. So, you know, that was, that was awesome. However, um, I then imported, oh my gosh, let's see, I want to say half a dozen other dogs, not one could pass. Mm. Uh, all of them had, you know, I mean, they had moderate to severe hips. Um, so, uh, I kind of realized that importing is not really the answer, even though that's kind of a big trend with this breed right now. Everybody's importing dogs. You don't get you don't get better joints by doing that. What happened is, for one thing, in Europe and um, pretty much everywhere else but the U.S., they are much easier when they grade hips. Mm-hmm. So while you can get a dog that's maybe graded A through FCI, um, OFA is going to grade the moderate maybe, or fair, you know, um, if you're lucky, good, you know, it just, it just all depends. They just don't have the same, the same criteria that we do here in the U S. Um, so really hard to get really good hips. Um, I talked to my vet, uh, and, and some other breeders and stuff of other breeds and the general consensus is I had one choice. I could either cross with a breed that didn't have hip issues, um, or I could, you know, just continue to breed up, you know, and just breed the the third the thirty percent at the top of you know my ratings. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing. Um, it seems to be working. I just had my litter from last year. We've done three puppies so far. Um, one, she, she, I haven't. They haven't. Well, they haven't. I haven't gotten her results yet, but. We expect her prelims to be good or to be excellent or good, at least, um, at least good. Um, the other one, she's probably going to be, she's not quite as good, but I'm happy with her. And then the third puppy, uh, one of my buyers has already had her x-rayed and she looks good. So I'm really happy with the results so far. Well, that's the downside to Spanish Mastiffs is getting decent joints, you know, and it's really important. Um we we're kind of like I can I can see you know the trend here because you get people who really really like those big heavy dogs with all those wrinkles 
But again, you know, I mean, at what cost, you know, it's like, that's great. They're really, they really are cute and they have those really nice plushy coats, but can they actually do their job? So, you know, it would be nice if we could get a happy medium in there somewhere, but genetics just don't work that way that fast. So um, I'm actually a little more focused on, you know, on like the here and now I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people, you know? Um, And so my, like I said, my focus right now is just to get some healthy working dogs out there that, you know, that actually can do the job that they're bred to do. Can you talk about the history of the breed? You know, I can. There's not a lot. Um, this, I mean, the general consensus, it's, it was it was actually kind of funny because I, I had a feeling you would ask me this question, so I actually did more research than I've ever done. Hmm. <laughs> um, and basically, they were, I mean, they're a Mollusa breed that came, you know, that they think were brought over by the Greeks and Phoenicians, you know, over 2000 years ago to Europe. Um, but after that, it gets kind of, you know, it, it's like everybody has an opinion. You can go to all different sites and everybody will tell you some, something different. Um, my best guess is, you know, as we know, they're a Mollusa breed. They were introduced to Europe probably initially as war dogs and then evolved into a flock guardian used by shepherds, you know, to, to move and guard their sheep. Um, but uh, I mean, honestly, you know, it's like as much as I have been interested in the history again, I'm, I can't translate all that Spanish. Um, and when you do, I've tried, it's like everybody has differing opinions. So, mm-hmm. you know, they were a Mastiff that came over at the same time. I think the rest of the Mastiffs did. And personally, my opinion is, well, people took them and used them for whatever they needed to use them for. And that's how they evolved. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the biggest registry, you know, for Spanish Mastiffs, of course, is in Europe. It's FCI. Um, if you are, if they come to the United States, I believe you have to register them. Um, I'm, oh, and I'm drawing a blank here. Um, in Puerto Rico, I think it is. Mm-hmm in order to get them registered. Um, I didn't go that route. What I've done is because FCI is, um, accepted by UKC, my dogs are UKC registered. Um, and it's very easy to do if you, if you want to take the time and do it. Um, AKC doesn't yet fully recognize them. They're considered foundation stock right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you know, I, I've, uh, talked to some people about a breed club and stuff not really sure where that's going to go honestly i'm not i'm not um one of those people that's really good at writing you know um rules and regulations and stuff so i'm hoping somebody will step up and want to do that mm-hmm. um you know and i i'd be happy to go along with it i just i just don't um i don't have the time and i don't have the inclination to be honest with you right. <laughs> um it's yeah it's like I'm kind of a reluctant breeder to be perfectly honest with you I did this I started this whole thing because I just felt like the dogs deserved better and so I'm doing it and I love raising puppies I love working with the dogs I I love all that um the rest of it yeah it's uh not my favorite thing 
I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, I watched my mom go through all the politics with Dobermans and stuff and just the whole show world. And it was just not, not at all my focus or my interest in any way. It's just, it, it has nothing to do with the dogs as far as I'm concerned. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, the dogs really don't care. Could you talk about uh, the uh, the FCI and the UKC standards? Is there a difference? So, oh, no, there is not. There are actually, um, they, they, I, it looks to me like UKC has pretty much just adopted FCI standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, depending on which way, do you want to know specifics like height, weight requirements? Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. All, all the above. So, okay. So anything um, above 30 inches and above is, is standard. Um, you, they don't have a height um, maximum. Um, nor do they, I, nor do they have a weight, um, you know, a maximum weight, just, you know, that they need to be over 30 inches. They're not, they're not exactly a square dog. They're a little longer than they are. You know, they should be, their bodies should be a little longer than they are tall. One of the biggest things I've noticed right now that people aren't keeping with the standard is kind of the head shapes that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, Spanish Mastiff's not really supposed to have much of a stop. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing these dogs with these, like, bowling ball heads that have these huge, you know, indents, you know, between their brows and their muzzles. And it's like, uh, no, that's not, you know, that's not really, that's not really the standard if you read it. Um, But it seems to be very popular, I guess, because it's cute. I'm not sure what the deal is. Um, They are supposed to have excess skin. That's for protection, you know, if they have to engage with a predator. Um, but not so much that, you know, it's going over their eyes and they can't see, um, which is another thing I'm seeing a lot of. Um, and, and again, you know, um, a standard is always up for, you, you know, interpretation. So, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody can interpret it the way they want. Right now, you know, what, you're, what we're seeing is a lot of people want these 240-pound dogs that, you know, uh, have all this wrinkle and skin, but again, I always go back to how does that translate when the dog has to actually guard something mm-hmm. and may have to engage with, you know, I've got dogs um, in Northern California that are guarding their flocks against um, mountain lions and bears right now. Um, I had one young female uh, went to a woman in Northern California. Well, she left her alone with, um, you know, with a flock of sheep overnight. When she got there the next day, uh, this was an 11-month-old puppy. Uh, she had backed the whole flock into a corner, and they couldn't figure out why. Well, then they found a dead lamb that a mountain lion had gotten a hold of. Mm. So she managed to hold the mountain lion off from the rest of the flock, but she did lose a lamb. But, I mean, you know, this is an 11-month-old puppy. She shouldn't have, you know, she kind of shouldn't have been out there in the first place. Um, on our own. Mm-hmm. So they can do their job. They can do it really well. Um, you know, but, but, but they do need more than one, you know, when you're in that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of variants in tails. They're actually supposed to be long and just kind of have that uh, curl at the bottom. It's kind of, it's kind of a, just aesthetically speaking, I like it better. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them have more, you know, tend to even carry them over the back. Some of mine actually even do that. Um, But, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the biggest issue for me right now. Like I said, you know, Mm -hmm. joint issues. Um, I, uh, 
I do DNA testing, um, cardiac, thyroid, kidney function, and liver function tests on all my dogs before I breed them just to make sure. Um, so, you know, I am trying to produce a healthy dog that can do its job is pretty much my goal right now. Um, I'm not really interested in color. Uh, lots of people are. Um, you know, especially, you know, when people call me, well, do you have any brindles? No, I don't even have those genetics right now. Um, <laughs> uh, I have sables and fawns and some blacks and, you know, that's pretty much it right now. So, um, I did have a black and tan female that I had imported from Spain. I just had her hips x-rayed two weeks ago. I went ahead and had her spayed while she was on the table because there was no way in hell she was passing. Uh, and then I had my two yearling girls um, x-rayed last week, and they did very well. So we'll just have to wait and see. In my mind, there isn't a difference, um, simply because my goal is to breed a dog athletic enough, again, to do its job. It, 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 so in other words, if I've got one dog out there that, you know, he's knocked over easily when they're playing and horsing around and stuff, you know, that's, you want balance in a dog. So I, I want them to be able to, to have enough air um, and, and be athletic enough to have some stamina. Um, that's another reason that I that I don't care for those, those more blocky heads because, you know, they just, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they just don't, they don't have the ability, you know, to take in air the same way. Um, of course, I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion. Um so what I'm looking for is a very large dog. I'd like to maintain the height um, and, and an actual, you know, weight that's that's reasonable. Uh, my male that's 38 inches, he sometimes hits 200 pounds. Um, for the most part, he hangs around at about 196. Um, that's a very lean for a dog that height, you know, and size. And he's... Uh, he's also very substantial, you know, bone-wise and stuff, and he, his puppies he throws seem to maintain that height um, and, and that, that substance of bone. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that can, you know, literally, uh, you know, take a beating if they have to and still come out on top. Okay, so I've got some that I've got some that are some females that are about 34 inches. Their weight is usually about 155. Mm -hmm. um, the females do tend to be a little stockier than the males, um, in my experience. Um, now, I've not necessarily seen that in the show ring and stuff, but in my experience, my girls tend to um, keep weight on a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. um, um, but while we're talking about the standard, also there's, there's also... Um, you know, personality traits and stuff that you need to breed for. Um, so while I don't mind if the dogs are a little bit aloof, like when, you know, when people come that they don't know or whatever, I, I don't expect them to come up and be super friendly or anything. Um, I can't have them attacking people <laughs> either. So, you know, you kind of have to watch temperament. These dogs are meant to, you know, I mean, if, if you see the way they keep them in Europe, the shepherds, and their families, um, you know, they move the flocks together, you know, it's called transhumance, and they basically move from one pasture to another or to market or whatever, and it's basically um, camping out with their dogs, you know, and the kids and everything, and, and so these dogs live with them. They don't get closed into pens like they do here in the U.S., 
you know, people bring, they want to bring their 10 week old puppy home and shove it into a pen next to a bunch of livestock. And in their mind, you know, it's bonding to the livestock instead of them. Well, no, that's not the way they were ever meant to be used as, as far as what I'm seeing in Spain. Um, the dogs are part of the family um, and they do their job very well, you know, and can manage to maintain relationships with a human and stuff too. So, eh, you know, it's, it's like, I want my dogs to be, uh, to have, you know, um, decent, um, what would you call it? Threat assessment abilities. Uh, so, you know, they know the difference. For instance, I have a school bus that stops out in front um, after about three or four days of the school bus starting stopping out in front and the kids walking to school, my dogs don't bark at them anymore because they realize, oh yeah, that's right. These, you know, they belong here. Um, however, if the tweaker a half mile down the road comes by, the dogs will hit the fence trying to get at them, you know? So that's what I want. I want them to understand the difference between a threat and, you know, something that's not a threat. The neighbor's chihuahuas get out, um, across the road they have these little uh, this little pack of piranhas they're like little long-haired chihuahuas and they get out and they run they run the fence line with my dogs i don't think my dogs would ever hurt them they think they're adorable because they're not a threat um about a half a mile down the road there's a couple of german shepherds when they get out the dogs will not allow them to approach the property so that's what i mean by threat assessment these dogs have some have really well developed sense of that and we need to preserve that, you know, not just turn them into barking maniacs over everything that, you know, happens to come by, uh, you know, that's really important to me. Um, another thing they do is they tend to really stick around. Um, they don't leave their, their livestock. Um, and one of the ways that was illustrated to me best is uh, one of my males can scale an eight-foot fence to get to a female in heat. I have like four and a half foot fencing, crappy field fencing around my property. He could hop that anytime he wanted. He has never done it, never, um, with the exception of once. And I had a ewe lamb get out. She went under the fence, and she was screaming and running back and forth. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so much fun to catch her and get her back to her mother. So I went over to the gate to go out. Well, as I'm doing that, Cabo hops the fence and goes over and kind of, you know, nuzzles the lamb a little bit. And she, he turns around and starts walking away and she follows him all the way to the gate. And it was like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to preserve those characteristics in my dogs. It's really important to me that they don't lose that. Um, so I have both. I have dogs that have gone to larger properties, like I said, up in Northern California and stuff. Um, I also have, you know, like um, the smaller kind of like homesteading farmers that have just a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my ideal is someone who actually work with the dog the way they were meant to be worked for with. That's that's basically my goal. That's my um, ideal customer, to be honest with you, because they don't, you know, I mean, you, you just, if, if you're willing to put in the time with the dog and actually you know, do that and actually form a relationship with them, a bond, I guess, if you'll, you know, if that's what you want to call it. Um, the dogs do, I mean, they kind of, their instinct kicks in. They will guard your livestock. They will guard your property. Um, I just need people to understand that, you know, it, it's not a dog that you just throw out there 
into a pen and then later turn out into a field because what you're going to get is a feral dog that uh, won't let you touch it at some, you know, as it grows up. So, you know, that's, that. I guess that would be my ideal is someone that actually is willing to do the work with the dogs. Mm-hmm. So right now, as it stands, approximately 98% of um, my applicants um, articulate the desire to breed their dog. Um, the misconception is that you're going to actually make money breeding these dogs because you're not. Uh, not unless you're asking $10,000 a puppy or something because, quite honestly, um, you know, if you're doing the health testing, if you're feeding them properly, if and, and I'm talking in terms of time, not just dollar signs, mm-hmm. if you're putting in the time and everything, you know, um, I have never, ever been in the black with my dog. <laughs> Um, as a matter of fact, uh, drastically the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, they're big dogs, which means big vet bills, which means big feet bills. Um, and so, and, you know, and then there's DNA testing, there's just all of this. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, then you're not willing to, you know, improve the breed. So don't do it. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be the biggest misconception is that you're going to actually make money breeding uh, dogs and, and you're not, not if you, not if you do it right. It's pretty difficult. Uh, you know, maybe someday, but not now. So normally I say LGDs uh, overall don't make great therapy dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, however, because these dogs are super, super intuitive and like really in tune with their people, um, I've had, well, I've got one, uh, let's see, she's, I think she's three or three years old now that belongs to a, a lady in Oregon. Um, she actually went from guarding her goats to, um, voluntarily becoming this woman's stability dog when she, uh, she has, I think it's RA and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of pretty advanced from what I understand. And she actually, that dog has actually just stepped up to the plate and, you know, stays with her consistently all the time and, you know, provides stability for her. Um, I have another one right now. We'll see how this works out. He went to a family in Utah. They, um, they take at-risk children um, on hikes and camping trips, things like that. Mm-hmm. And he has gone there to kind of be an ambassador for the kids and, kind of guard them, you know, because there are predators and stuff mm-hmm. out there, but also just to kind of interact with the kids and kind of, you know, put them at ease and stuff. Um, he's pretty much still a baby, but apparently, uh, according to the guy I talked to him last week, he's doing a really fabulous job. They're very happy with him. Mm-hmm. So they actually can do other things. Um, I'd like to explore that a little bit more. Um, just because I, you know, I, I've seen it with my own dogs. I, I had to have surgery, um, and I had a horse uh, over backwards on me, and I had to have both hips replaced. That was awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Those I would, the first time I went, I, I'll never forget. I had two dogs on either side of me, just walking really slow, being really careful not to touch me. You know, they really wanted to see me and stuff, but they were just so careful. Um, so I thought that was pretty awesome. I just, I, I think that they could actually do other things. Um, and as I said, I would love to see them. I would love to see them work in those capacities. Um, some do. I have some that actually have gone to families, um, you know, that are more in like the suburbs and stuff. And that's exactly what they do. Uh, 
I have one. Uh, she's in California. She belongs to a family. Um, she has already, let's see, well, when they had the fires in Corona, she, uh, she, uh, uh, kind of detained, a. it was a, what they think was a looter. It was a guy and the whole, pro- the whole neighborhood had been evacuated, um, except for some law enforcement, uh, that was there. And she happened to, happens to be the wife of a law enforcement officer. And the dog took off running after this guy he, and that shouldn't have been there and actually kept him up against a wall until they could come and, uh, get him, I guess, that I guess her husband followed the dog. Um, she's also, uh, there was another time that they had a guy, uh, I think he, she's, <laughs> it was a neighbor that had gotten drunk and was coming to the wrong house, was trying to get into the wrong house. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, she alerted everybody and wouldn't let him through the door. So yeah, I think they can do it. You know, I, I, I mine, I have, my husband works 12 hour shifts at night. Uh, and I, don't ever worry about anybody getting in here. Um, I, yeah, I don't even lock my doors most of the time. So I have a couple who, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, um, the one female that I actually just had spayed with last week, which broke my heart because she was gorgeous. And she, she, uh, my UPS man won't even try to tie. As a matter of fact, I came home from, I came home from town and UPS had been there and I saw dog treats all over the driveway. (laughs) She wouldn't even eat the dog dog treats. I mean, she was just, he said, I'm terrified of your dog. He called and basically said, so um, I'll meet you in town with your packages. Um, And another time I had uh, one of my males uh, was a male from Russia. Uh, We were out walking and I had a guy come up and he got a little too close. He was just, you know, he was kind of creepy and got a little too close and put his hand out like he was going to, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think Ymir knew what he was going to do. And he just kind of grabbed his hand and held on to him. Um, so I, I, I think they're pretty capable of, of, you know, detaining a human if they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think all of them would do that. I've seen some that, you know, if someone will come to the gate, they'll run over to the sheep and guard them. So it just kind of depends on, I, I think it depends on the individual dog there. No, they're not all, they're not all aggressive enough to actually, or, um, to actually do that, but some will. And I think, um, with training, you know, maybe some of the others might, you know, this is something where I, it's actually a, a whole area that I'm totally unfamiliar with. Um, I know that dogs, you know, who are trained to actually be guard dogs for humans, you know, that's a really specialized training, um, which I don't have time to do. I don't, I don't really know the temperament they're looking for. I'm assuming they, you know, they have to be a pretty confident dog. Um, so whether or not they could be trained to do that is something, something entirely different. Um, I have, like I said, at least two here that I know of that will do it on their own, but I'm not necessarily there to, don't know if they're necessarily doing it the proper way, so so to speak, I guess. The males tend to be a little more laid back as a rule. Um, So my females are always the ones that are, you know, at the fence um, first. The males tend to stay back more um, with the sheep. 
Uh, however, when something actually shows up, uh, we have had a couple of mountain lions come through. They're right there. Um, it, they just, they just kind of, uh, they let the females handle it, um, you know, until something, until something that, you know, actually is a danger shows up and then they kind of remind me of lions, you know, they, they'll get up and, and if there's a real danger that they think the females can't handle, then they'll go ahead and, um, and, and show up for it. Otherwise, uh, they're, like I said, they're pretty laid back guys. They just are, the girls are the ones that are, you know, the ones that hit the fence line first. Mm-hmm. Really? And, and, and again, this is one of the reasons I love this breed so far. I haven't seen a lot. Um, I haven't had any, you know, um, any health issues with, and I, and I do have some older dogs now, and they're doing great. Uh, I've got an eight-year-old female out there that uh, she's she's supposed to be dysplastic in one hip. You look at the x-rays, she's obviously dysplastic in one hip, yet she's out there running back and forth, guarding with the rest of the dog. I, that I fell in love with these guys, and it's basically because there's just they're just really easy dogs. Um, they can be a little hard headed if you're trying to obedience train them because, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to their breeding and, and, and they sometimes feel that they know better than you. So, um, recall can kind of suck sometimes if they decide there's a threat and, you know, you don't feel, you know, you're trying to call them back from it. They don't always respond as quickly as I would like them to. Sometimes they don't respond at all. So there's that. They can be hard-headed. I, I did actually have a couple call me, and uh, they wanted to know if the puppies chew. Uh, and as far as I know, all puppies chew. But, yes, these are huge puppies, and they can do a lot of damage. Um, like, you'll be replacing furniture if you don't. Uh, <laughs> if they're in the house with you and, and, and you're not giving them alternative things to chew on. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I, I mean, they're big dogs. They can do a lot of damage. They can, you know, they, they will kill your garden within an hour, um, things like that. So, you know, you kind of have to be ready, you know, to either contain them so that they are better to contain the garden, I guess, uh, things like that. But um, really, like I said, they're um, they're pretty cool dogs. They just... Uh, they're easy to live with. You know, there's been times when I've had four or five in the house at a time and not a problem other than hair, you know, if they're, of course they shed. So, you know, you have to vacuum every day of your life if you want to have your dog in the house. Of all the LGD breeds, I, I haven't had that many. I've had some peers. I've had some perineum astis. I've had some crosses. These are by far my favorite. So I have not owned a lot of perineum mastiffs. Uh-huh. Um, I have two here now that are older. Um, my biggest problem with the perineum mastiff was that the, the two I had anyways, they were so willing to jump and fight at any, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Spanish mastiffs, they, they tend to not. My biggest fights have been between males when there's a female in heat. And that's because, you know, if I was dumb enough not to separate them, you know, during that time. Um, but the the Spanish Mastiff seems to live together a little easier than the Perennian. Um, and then, of course, the other thing, I think Perennian Mastiffs are gorgeous. They're beautiful dogs. Um, however, 
I am never in a million years going to want to maintain all those coats out in this mud and dirt and underbrush and stuff that we have out here. No way. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that would, to me would be, um, that, that was one of the things, you know, the two I've got, it's just, uh, uh, a couple times a year, you know, you can build three or four different dogs with their coats that you've brushed out of them. So you would say slightly more dog hotter tempered. It's kind of, they're just, they, they just seem to get, they just seem a little angrier to me. Um, just, so just a little easier to piss off than, than the Spanish. What part of the world today is, do you think is breeding the best Spanish Mastiffs? So I'm going to have to say probably here because, Mm -hmm. because our testing is more rigorous. Mm -hmm. Um, the problem is we need to get more breeders doing health testing and being transparent about their health testing. So in other words, you can't just have one dog and say, Oh, this dog OFA really good. And then breeder to an, or him to another one um, that hasn't been tested and, you know, say, well, because that dog's not old enough yet or because whatever, and continually do those kind of things. You can't, you know, and so that's what we have going on because again, it's a huge chunk of money to have these dogs tested and get them ready to breed. So I've, there are, there are a lot of people coming up. I mean, there's a ton of people that are um, importing a lot, importing from the Czech Republic. Um, Ashley Lankin in the Czech, Czech Republic that um, she's a fabulous breeder. She's actually health testing her dogs and, you know, and holding herself accountable. I really appreciate her. Um, there are some breeders in Spain um, doing the same thing. Um, but again, it, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to compare when they don't have the same parameters we do. So most of the dogs that these breeders have, these people have been breeding, you know, for maybe two years, they're all imports anyways. Mm-hmm. There are very few people. I'm I'm just beginning to have my own lines after eight years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? you know what I mean. So it's like that's a really difficult question because um, basically what you're getting are European dogs, anyways, from European breeding in the U.S. because they just haven't been here that long. Right. Um. So I mean, my oldest purebred Spanish Mastiffs are just going into their fifth year mm-hmm. that I bred myself. So, it, you know, yeah, it's it, it's a long, you know, it, it's going to be a long journey. And it's going to be interesting to see if people actually step up to the plate and do the right thing by the dogs and they flourish here or if they just become another, you know, fad and then disappear. The, the best thing you can do, in my opinion, is the DNA testing in conjunction with the other, you know, checking organ function and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because here's the thing. We don't know what they're going to throw yet because we haven't been breeding them long enough. Mm-hmm. You, you know, do you see what I mean? It's like, okay, so you get a dog and everything looks great, but we don't know what that dog genetically carries until you've bred them a couple of times, you know, and, and, and see what they throw on different, uh, you know, with different dogs. So, um, that would be the biggest misconception. I mean, I, and, and I've been the biggest offender of that. It's, that's kind of how I learned because I thought, great, you know, clear and bark. That's awesome. Nobody has, you know, everybody is testing out great and everything. Well, what happens 
if one of my puppies that's turning five all of a sudden drops dead of a heart attack, then what do I do? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It hasn't happened yet, but it could. Mm -hmm. Um, it, the, you know, I mean, it just, it, it's, it, so, I mean, breeding is always going to be, it always has been, it, well, and I mean, I'll, I'll go on further, anything carbon-based that you're working with, and especially if you're trying to, you know, um, replicate or breed it, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get, it's chaos, you know, you can't, you can't manipulate genetics and stuff, you know, not the way people think they can. You know, it's the same thing with people breeding all the pure and anatolian crosses and saying, oh, you're getting the best of the best of both worlds. No, you're not. How can, you know, that doesn't even compute if you know anything about genetics. And, and trust me, I don't know as much as I'd like to. Um, and I suppose I could study that for the rest of my life and still not know mm -hmm. because it's a huge gamble no matter what. So the biggest misconception is, you know, guarantees. You think you're guaranteed something and um that is just about the time that mother nature is going to come in and say oh really um well here how about this mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it, it's just what it is you know i mean it, there are no there are never going to be any answers that are going to be absolute there's never going to be an absolute it's just not going to happen um and it can't happen you know as long as you know as long as you're just uh, working with something that can change, you know, at any time or has hidden, you know, recessive genes that you don't know about until they show up, you know, they raise their ugly heads and there you have it. So um, it's always going to be a hit and miss, you know, no matter what you do, it's you, there's no guarantees. I guess that's the best way to put it. It is, yeah. you know, you, you do your best and, um, the only thing you can do is stand behind your dogs. You know, it's like if uh, I, I have a guarantee, if, you know, something comes up, uh, you know, we'll work it out and, you know, and figure it out from there. I don't, I'm, I'm not one of those people that says, oh, you know, that's not my dog or whatever, because I need to know if it is my dog, mm -hmm. you know, that's causing it. So, yeah, I mean, you just have to, you have to be able to be open enough to actually work with people with you know with this kind of stuff and it's like i actually even um i actually even started a group on facebook for people to for breeders to post all of their results and stuff mm -hmm. so that people can see um you know exactly how you know how, where the dog stands um unfortunately i don't have any breeders wanting to be part of it you gotta you gotta be honest about your dogs or you're never gonna you're, you're never going to get anywhere. They're just going to stay exactly the way they are. Mm -hmm. And that's the bottom line. And, you know, because we're working, you know, uh, on such unsteady ground, things are going to pop up and it's better for them to pop up and find out about them than to stuff them down and hide them and, you know, um, keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm.